So when we look at Palm Sunday, we, we see the beginning of what's described as Holy Week. Um, and when you look into Holy Week, it becomes, I suppose, the, 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 the week that covers the final week of Jesus's life. And it focuses on particular key elements. And, and what you find when you begin to look at it is chronologically, not necessarily everything that is is focused on and celebrated over Holy Week officially happened necessarily in that final week, the seven actual physical days of Jesus' final week. But they're all seen as key things that are mentioned in the Bible that are that are poignant moments towards the end of Jesus' life that, that led to this point. Um, and, and actually... The, the thing that baffles me about it is is sometimes the 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 difference between Palm Sunday and what happens at the end of the week is so stark, um, and I suppose that's what I wanted us to be able to focus on. Um, I, I thought we could focus on three things this morning: um, palms, uh, predictions, and betrayal is what I wanted to look at this morning. When we think about that final week of Jesus's life. To me, that these are three key things, key elements that that define um, so much of what he was here for. Um, so let's let's begin to to unpack that. I need to to read um, the the Palm Sunday uh, part of, of the Bible. I'm going to I'm going to use um, the Gospel of Mark, if that's okay. Uh, if you ever want a gospel that just cuts straight to the point and doesn't particularly elaborate, Mark's gospel is brilliant <laughs> for it. It just gives you detail and not much kind of fluff around it, um, which in some ways is really great. Sometimes you want a little bit more content, a little bit more depth, but, but actually it's just really to the point. So Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 11 says this. Um, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as a king, it's entitled. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to, Beth, um, came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, um, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you what, uh, why you are doing this, say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Uh, Many people spread their cloaks on the road, uh, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming uh, coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since um, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So that is uh, the the kind of shortest version, I suppose, of, of what happens on Palm Sunday. So it's called Palm Sunday because of that moment where as Jesus rides this donkey into town, uh, into Jerusalem, people lay these palm leaves down. Um, and for me, as, as I read that story, there's a few different elements that stand out for me. Uh, the first one is, is the donkey. 
Um, Jesus instructed them, the, the, right at the start of that chapter, he instructs them to say, actually, go into this place, you will find a donkey at this place, go and find it, untie it, tell them that this is why you're doing it. Um, and, and the strange thing is, what, what we see in that moment is that this... Uh, this was a, a predicted thing. This wasn't. Uh, this wasn't Jesus going. Go to this place. There's bound to be a load of donkeys around. Um, so just go and find one, and then just look. Look at which one you think you can get away with taking, and then go in and take it. It, it wasn't that Jesus gave really clear direction to say you'll find it here, tied to this place. Um, go and do it, and then when they ask you what's happening, give them this reason. Jesus knew. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Didn't seem. Doesn't seem like an important detail. But he knew uh, that that's where they'd find one, and that it needed to be what they brought to him. It wasn't go and find any any animal that I could potentially ride into town. Anyone that's big enough will do. He knew exactly what he wanted. Um, so, so it's it's an interesting element. It, it was in Jesus's head that this is what needed to happen, and this is where you'll find it. And actually, as you begin to read. Um, the elements of Holy Week, you begin to see numerous times where Jesus has really clear direction of what they need to do, uh, where they need to go, what they will find in a certain scenario. And it's not, he's not describing chance happenings. He knows that these things are going to be the case. So Jesus instructed them to find this particular donkey. But the significance of a donkey is, is really important. When you read about um, the, those kind of times, ancient times, when a king would, would return from war, they would often have a procession back to their home on a horse. It would be a victory parade um, and it would be celebrating the, their victory in the bloodshed. Um, but Jesus chose not to ride on a horse. He chose to ride on a donkey. Uh, and the donkey in this aspect is much more, it's not a sign of war and bloodshed and victory in that way. It's a sign of peace, that the, the nature of a donkey is entirely different to the nature of a horse or the other kind of animals they could have chosen. Um, and actually, it, it becomes a sign of, of victory, peace, but no bloodshed, which is the, the, the key thing, the key difference between a king being kind of the procession of a king back into town in in a a kind of majestic kind of victory parade on a horse. But also the key thing is this very very act was one of the things that was prophesied about Jesus' life, about when the Messiah comes, when the king of Israel comes. Uh, In in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says exactly, it describes this exact scenario, that the king will come in peace riding on a donkey so the significance of this act was was so important um but but often and it's classic jesus thing often slightly obscure and different to what you'd always expect it's never the kind of uh, the way that everyone else would do it there'd always be a twist and there'd be a reason for the twist uh, for me, one of the most significant things is Jesus chose a donkey for all of the reasons we've mentioned, but actually a donkey in society was quite a lowly animal. Mm. It wasn't a majestic or a powerful or a, a, a kind of highly valued animal. Um, 
it was a it was a, a lowly animal, a common animal, and and what it signifies, I suppose, is Jesus's connection with the common man. At that time, in Roman occupied um, in a Roman occupied area, it was really difficult to be a commoner because of the Roman laws that you would have to be um, uh, living by and, and the standards that were set and what you'd be expected to do. It was it was difficult to be a common, uh, just an, a common person who was living under Roman law. Uh, the Romans had all of the, um, the kind of... Um, the rights to do whatever they wanted to do they had their own kind of ways of operating they were elevated in society above everyone else so to be a common person was was a lot more tricky but jesus by by riding into town on a donkey was aligning himself with the common man was saying this is i'm i'm here i'm not interested in pomp and splendor i'm here on a on a on a lowly animal on a donkey and i'm here for you um and that was a significant thing. So one key element is the donkey. Second key element is palm leaves. And um, when we when we read about palm leaves, I, I, I don't know when, when you grow up with these kind of stories. I, I grew up in the church, so I was a I've been to church my entire life. And you hear these stories, and they just become part and parcel of your um, Christian knowledge and your journey. And um, and to me, I wouldn't have known what the significance of palm leaves were, whether it was just that that was the thing that was growing most around them and it was the easiest thing for them to get hold of. But actually, uh, the palm leaves themselves were a symbol of Jewish nationalism. So for them to grab these palm leaves and wave them, it was it was almost like waving the flag, um, waving the flag for, um, for, for, for the Jews, that it would be their, their sign of nationalism, the thing that they would do in celebration. So waving um, these palm leaves in celebration as this, as this person came in was, in essence, celebrating the arrival of a king. It was, uh, it was celebrating who he was. And I suppose what we could look at nowadays is it's the ancient equivalent of them laying out a red carpet for the arrival of Jesus. Um, but it was just done in, in the appropriate way of the time. But that was the celebration. The other element that they mention in the story, and I'd never looked at this before, but I, I really love it, um, is they, they, they waved palm leaves and laid them down as a path um, for, for Jesus to ride across on the donkey. But also it says some people laid down their coats, their cloaks, not their coats. Um, some people laid down their cloaks. And when you begin to read what that means laying down your cloak before someone who's who's kind of processing in front of you is probably the the biggest sign of of respect and honour and submission to the person who is and who's kind of entering into that city and for people to do that it was quite a um, a big sign of we believe that this person is really significant now Jesus wasn't officially the king he wasn't actually the king <laughs> but he was being treated his his i suppose his stock was so high within these people's kind of thinking that that they were celebrating his arrival as a king so as we read about palm sunday he he arrives in celebration, he arrives in this moment where people are delighted and excited and and celebrating and and submitting themselves before um, this king. But when Jesus gets there, the the really interesting thing is you look at how Holy Week rolls out for him. The, the question I asked myself was, how does he use his time? 
How does he use his time? Once he gets to Jerusalem, what does he decide to do with his time? He doesn't lord it and say, I, I, the king's here, high-fiving everyone and, and just kind of riding high on the success of, of his entrance into Jerusalem. He, he uses his time really interestingly. And it talks about in the Bible straight after this, he goes, it says how he goes off with the 12, his 12 disciples to Bethany. Um, but the next thing he does is he comes back into Jerusalem the next day and he starts by going into the temple, challenging the religious leaders of the day, challenging the high priests, um, turning the tables uh, in the temple of the people who are selling doves, the people who are maximising the opportunity to make money on people sacrificing. So they're selling doves to people so they've got something they can sacrifice. And Jesus calls out all of these things that are wrong. And he, he decides to say, I'm not going to use my kind of, the celebration of me arriving as something just to sit back and relax on. This My purpose here is to challenge and, and question and and give people an alternative perspective and an alternative view of this stuff. So what you see throughout his time is he's challenging people, he's turning over tables, he's pointing out the hypocrisy and inconsistencies, not with the common people who might be doing some things wrong in their lives, but with the attitudes and standpoint of the religious leaders of the day. And so in a way, we begin to say, actually, Jesus has this one week left. And this is how he chooses to use it, that he's going to stand and challenge and and, uh, give an alternative perspective and say, this is what's important and this is how life needs to be. Um, So he turns the tables, he speaks up. um, He was, for me, he was fulfilling his purpose. And you see throughout this time that Jesus is doing this stuff, but then at the same time, he's then being challenged by people all the time and and he's being asked really difficult questions. They're trying to trip him up. They're They're trying to get him to the point. Because Jesus was now so powerful, he was seen as such a threat to the society of the time, to the high priests and the the kind of um, the temple, that they wanted to find fault in him and criticise him to be able to uh, to take him out, to be able to punish him. Uh, and obviously, ultimately, that's where it, it leads to. But th- there's no doubt that, that Jesus was, his purpose in this time, in this week, was to come and correct um, the religious types and, and those kind of people. And, and when you read, um, it, where, where is it? It's in um, uh, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, 38 to 40. This is what it says. Um, and it's entitled Warning Against the Teachers of the Law. As he taught, Jesus says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And this is this is the kind of stuff that Jesus was saying. Uh, obviously, he was saying other things as well. He then talks about um, um, the parable of the tenants. And if you if you read that, it's, it's very much all along the same lines of saying, "Look, um, the the parable of the tenants is about him ultimately about him being rejected by the people and him being punished and killed." Um, but but what he's doing really is he's he's so clear and so um, so. Um, 
Yeah, I, I suppose he's so clear on his purpose of why he's there that he's here to to reset and challenge and and to set a new standard for how things need to work. Um, and, and actually, when you think about how, how someone would spend the last week of their lives, it wouldn't be how we'd normally uh, expect it to be, but, but he seems to be so clear in his purpose that he just got on and do that. But the byproduct, though, of him doing that stuff is that you, you see in, in the Bible that there's a, a real swell of fear and um, worry within the, the kind of religious community of what could this guy do. They wanted to take him out, but were worried about a rebellion against them by the, by the, 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 the public. The, what would they do if we were to, if we were to uh, take this guy out? So I suppose their only option is to try and turn people against him. So, so that, to me, is, is our kind of picture of Palm Sunday, this great day of celebration, people for Jesus, excited about him being there. But Jesus being clear that I'm not here to ride on the crest of this Palm Sunday wave and, and the celebration of me being here. He was clear on his purpose and he, he kind of maintained um, his direction in that way. So that's Palm Sunday. Let's think about predictions, the second word we looked at. Uh, before Jesus arrived in Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday, if you read in, in the Gospels, you see that Jesus predicted his own death in Jerusalem on three separate occasions. Uh, Mark 8, chapter 31, Mark 9, um, sorry, um, Mark 8, uh, verse 31, Mark 9, verse 30, and Mark 10, verse 32. Each of, those, each of those occasions, uh, in slightly more detail each time, he says, uh, let me read the last one to you. Um, he talks to his disciples. Um, so it's Mark, uh, Mark 10, um, 32. Jesus predicts his death a third time. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and, this, and the disciples were astonished while those who had followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Um, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So this was before he'd even had the procession into town. So he, he wasn't going in thinking that it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't end this way. He was so clear. He kept telling his disciples that. And what he gets from his disciples is this constant resistance. And he almost gets shouted down by his own disciples going, no, 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 we can't let that happen. That would never happen. That would be awful. But he's in on it. He knows that this is the way it's going to go. And maybe that's one of the things that made him so clear in his determination to say, I know what I'm here to do. I know what I'm here to challenge and how I'm going to do it. And I know how this will end. Um, which must have been a strange thing that you, you arrive in procession, but knowing in the back of your head and in your heart that this is going to end up quite ugly. And it's probably going to be the most painful and brutal thing you've ever experienced. But... It's interesting, isn't it, that 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 we we see Jesus in a different light when we know that he knew all along what it was going to lead to. He also predicted, um, you can read it quite easily in, in Mark um, from that point onwards, he also predicted the, the betrayal of Judas, 
So we can read about that in Mark 14, verse 17. And the denial um, by Peter of being connected to Jesus in Mark 14, 27. And for me, the, the really interesting thing about this is it's really easy to, to just go, oh, Jesus, that was just who Jesus was. He knew he knew what everything would happen. But I think it's important that we don't, we don't kind of paint a picture of Jesus that says, yeah, he was just a great like, prophet or predictor that he just he could tell what was going to happen and he had foresight into everything for me it was probably more there's probably more emotion and more connection into that so if you think about the judas situation and the peter situation i don't in either of those predictions see that he was ever being flippant or like yeah well yeah judas you you're gonna let me down it was never kind of a throwaway comment or Peter, him having an argument with Peter going, yeah, well, but you, like, don't say that, you're going to deny me. I bet you, I bet you, you'll, de- you'll deny me. I actually think what it was is Jesus knew how the world worked and he knew the temptation that would be there for someone like Judas to sell him out because of the pressure and the, the society that they lived in. So in a way, Jesus's prediction wasn't just about being uh, able to tell everyone what was going to happen. I think he knew the kind of turmoil and pressure and dilemma that these guys would be under. And the same, especially with Peter, that the idea that, that he talks a lot um, around this time about how you will be fearful for your own lives because you are connected with me. And when you begin to look at the Peter one, we can easily look at it 2,000 years later and, and be a bit flippant about it, going, oh, yeah, Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him. And, and look what he did. He did then. A few, few chapters later, he just denies him. He just ignores he, he denies that he even knows him. But actually, in that society at that time, if it was about life and death, Jesus knew that Peter, despite saying that he was the most loyal person to Jesus, he knew that when push came to shove, the pressure and the intensity and the fear of that scenario would lead Peter to this point. And actually, what it, what it makes me realise is that Jesus understood the reality of the world, that he was never um, prophetic and, and uh, a great predictor that was so removed from reality. I think he was so grounded in reality that actually he was able to give real insight and understanding. And sometimes his predictions just show us that. Um, and, and to me, that was, that was quite a powerful thing. So we've got Palm Sunday. Um, we've got predictions. Uh, and finally, we've got betrayal. Uh, the betrayal by Judas ultimately led uh, to Jesus' arrest. We can read that in all the different accounts, that, that it was the fact that Judas chose to sell him out to the Romans that, that led to his arrest. There was a kiss on the cheek, uh, that kiss of betrayal that, that identified Jesus for, for who he was, and, and that was the beginning of, of that process. But interestingly, when you look at, at that betrayal and where it, the, the kind of trigger um, of the events that then happen after that, when you think about how Jesus conducted himself, he may have spent his time prior to this questioning, challenging, answering difficult questions, um, giving a different perspective. But when he's in the scenario where he's being questioned by um, the religious people of the day, the high priests, where he's on trial in front of Pontius Pilate, all of these kind of things, he never became defensive or argumentative. Um, and actually, you see that it gets to the point where with someone like Pilate, as he's trying to try Jesus... 
Pilate continued to get back to this point of, but he hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus hasn't actually done anything wrong. So what? So what do you want me to punish him for? And the high priests are constantly going about, no, 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 you need to do it, you need to do it. Um, but Jesus, Jesus never, um, never strayed from the path of his purpose. He never became defensive or argumentative or, or a nuisance or difficult. He knew what he was there to do. He knew who he was. He would stand up for what he believed. But, but he never became um, aggressive or, or, um, or difficult for them to deal with. But ultimately, Pilate couldn't find anything wrong, and there's numerous occasions in the accounts where he can't find, um, he can't actually find uh, any fault in what Jesus is doing. And, and the threat of Jesus was so great that the high priests decided to whip up a storm among the people to turn them against him. We see the culmination of this. Uh, where they have the option of, uh, at, this, at this festival at the time, they can release one prisoner back into freedom. Um, and Pontius Pilate says, do you want me to release the innocent man, Jesus, to you? I can't find anything wrong with what he's done. I will give him back to you. But the, the kind of the poison of the high priest had kind of permeated so many of the people that they'd whipped up such a storm that, that everyone demanded that Barabbas be set free and that Jesus be, uh, Jesus be crucified, Jesus be killed. Um, and I suppose what this... What this begins to show us is that, yeah, Judas is the point of betrayal in the story, but actually the ultimate betrayal really is the people who um, excitedly waved palm leaves and celebrated the arrival of the king to within space of, I don't know how many physical days it was, but we're looking at this as a week, um, within a week had turned their back on him and were demanding that he be punished for the things that he'd done. So in a way, the ultimate betrayal came from the people, the very same people who celebrated the arrival of him as king just a week earlier. And now what Jesus would have to do is make this entirely different procession Instead of a procession over the top of palm leaves and cloaks, um, a sign of celebration, arrival of a king, of submission, um, he would now have to make this, so this, this procession up to Golgotha, his place where he would die. And this time there would be no palm leaves, there would be no cloaks. Instead there'd just be ridicule, there'd be abuse, there'd be pain and there'd be isolation. So we, we begin to see, and I suppose this is what I wanted to be able to, to focus on in our thinking, that, that this space of seven, well, let's call it seven days, this space of a week that we call Holy Week, we have this juxtaposition almost of the excitement and celebration of Palm Sunday, but then the desperation of this isolated walk to Golgotha, where Jesus is ultimately going to be going to be um, crucified and, and dies, and for me, this week becomes quite an interesting one. And, and I've never looked at Holy Week in this way, um, but for me, it does become quite a challenge because when I think about how Jesus chooses to use his his time that last week that he he was so clear in his purpose he was so clear in what he wanted to stand for what he was going to challenge how he was going to be it has to work as an inspiration for me to say well who who am i going to 
be in all of my weeks. If Jesus chose to use his last week to to continually re-emphasise the point of who he was, what he was here to do, what wasn't right, what uh, what needed challenging. Uh, and I've always found it a massive challenge that Jesus spent probably... Um, more time focusing on the flaws of of the religious folk than um, pointing out the faults in the people who were um, in the world's eyes the sinners and, and I found that a real challenge when I, I read through the gospels um, um, not that long ago and the, the common theme that, that keeps coming through is that Jesus was was intent on on correcting if he was going to correct anyone um, he would correct the people who were being high and mighty about spiritual matters. Um, and often what he would say were mis- misrepresenting God. And, and I feel like that's, that's a really interesting um, challenge. It's not to say that that needs to be our purpose in life, but actually we need to then think, actually, well, who was Jesus calling the religious people to be? And to me, I want to make sure that I'm aligning myself with with what Jesus was describing in the way of operating, the way of doing things. So what can we learn? Uh, Well, Jesus taught so much in that last week. He rode a donkey into town, an image of peace, um, of a king without pomp and ceremony, um, but one who is for all people. Um, which is a key thing for us all to to be reminded of and and um, I suppose follow that example um, secondly his predictions point to his purpose he knew he had to challenge and what the consequences would be he also knew the reality of life for people he understood the weakness of Judas and the fear in Peter um, he wasn't disconnected from all of that stuff. He understood what life, uh, how life worked and how society worked. Um, and his predictions were, were understanding of that. And I suppose despite his knowledge um, of the impending betrayal by all people, not just by Judas, but by all people ultimately, that he knew he would, uh, he would be arrested, um, beaten and, and killed. Despite all of that, he has this moment on uh, on Monday Thursday, on, on Holy Thursday, where he sits down with his disciples and they go to take the Passover meal and he invites the disciples to share the Last Supper. And in that moment, he he kind of takes himself, his example, his way of doing things and says to his disciples, um, this is me. What, what we're going to do here is we're going to break this bread and we're going to drink this wine. And these things are me. As you as you break this bread, as you as you eat this bread, you are taking in me. You're doing this in remembrance of me. You're connecting with me. Um, and we've talked about it before, haven't we, with communion, that we do that and we can become more like Jesus by taking communion. Um, and the same with his blood. It's, it's the, the blood that's poured out for us and for them at the time. And, and the key thing is, in that moment, the Last Supper must have been a strange, a strange thing for the disciples. They meet together to have the Passover meal, which is in their calendar is the time where they remember um, the uh, the kind of exile from um, from Egypt, the Israelites um, being freed from um, from Egypt. Uh, and as as they take the Passover meal, it's the reminder of what God um, did for them when He saved them from that. So as they're going through this important Jewish tradition, 
Uh, Jesus then takes that moment to say, well, while we're here doing this, I want you to think about this. He takes the bread, takes the wine, gives it this whole new level of significance. Uh, and actually, in, in my mind, I look at it now and think he reached this point at the end of the week, knowing that he was about to be arrested, punished, tried um, and then beaten and killed. He knew that the, he knew the significance of what was about to happen, but the disciples didn't. So he took this moment and said, OK, I'm going to take these two things, the bread and the wine. And and as as we as we eat these things, I want you to connect with me. Um, and we, we talked before about communion, talked about how the idea of eating food in celebration for a God in those times wasn't uncommon. So the idea that people would meet to celebrate a particular God um, and they would eat food in celebration of that person, that it was, it was a common concept that people believed at that time that if you were to eat food in celebration of a God, a particular God, you would honour that God with the food that you were eating, that the physical aspect of eating food that is honouring a particular God would make you more like them. That was the concept that people at the time would would understand. So for Jesus to say, actually, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take this bread and this wine and we're going to eat that in remembrance of me. And this is this is when I want you to remember me and think about me when you do this. It was giving the people in that room the opportunity to become more like him in that moment. But the strange thing for me is is. What it's easy to forget in this time is we look back at this stuff with this whole wide perspective of we see everything that happened around the time, everything that happened leading up to it and after it, and we can kind of, we have the, um, I suppose, the blessing of, of hindsight or the blessing of the whole picture. So we can see the significance of everything that happened. But if you were to put yourself in that situation um, as a disciple... You would, have, you would have seen the celebration, everyone's so excited about Jesus arriving. You would have seen then him challenging, him, him standing up, him turning tables, him, him um, debating with different people about what was right, what was wrong. Uh, and probably see this, get this sense of an atmosphere shifting and changing, there being quite a lot of hate and ridicule. You've also then got this person who you're dedicated to following, constantly telling you, this isn't going to end well, you know. Um, and for them, they're then sat in this, me- in this meal where they're celebrating Passover, where God came through and did this amazing thing for them. Um, and then Jesus is saying, well, we'll actually do this in remembrance of me. Remember, this is what's going to happen. It must have been so confusing for them. They must have been willing and wishing and hoping that what he was saying would not come to pass. Because in their minds, that would probably be the absolute worst thing that could happen. Um, but, but that's where we are introduced this whole concept of communion, that, that it isn't just a memorial act where we go, let's not forget what Jesus did for us. And sometimes we reduce communion down to, let's not, it'd be awful, wouldn't it, if we forgot what Jesus did. Um, actually, this is about remembrance on a, a completely different level. It's about taking who he was in that last week 
what he stood for, uh, what he valued, the way he pointed people to, to, to God and, and his commitment to that cause and to calling out the things that were, that were inconsistent with connecting with God, challenging the religious leaders of the day and the way that they would operate, um, always making it, as he, walk, as he rides in on a donkey, making it for the common person. That's the person that in that moment of communion we can choose to align ourselves with and say, actually, let's connect with Jesus. Um, and as we take this bread and this wine, um, let's, let's honour who he was. So that's what we're going to do to finish. We're going to take, eat. Um, this is his body and his blood broken and poured out for you. And I think there's one question I want to leave us with to think about this week. Um, and it's jumping back to Palm Sunday. And, and I, I, when I was doing a bit of reading about this, someone had raised a really interesting question. And I suppose when we look at all of this stuff, in the light of all of this, all of that we know about, about Jesus' life, the celebration, um, the challenges, the predictions, all of these kind of things, through to the betrayal and ultimately his, his um, suffering and his death, knowing what you know, uh, the question is, will you choose to be a palm leaf waver, um, celebrating the arrival of a king? Or could you be someone who would lay down your cloak and decide that you'll be someone who, in honour and respect and submission, uh, want to submit our lives and give our all um, to this king who's, who's walking past? It's not to say that there is a hierarchy of, oh, are you just a palm leaf waver? Or are you going to or are you going to be prepared to give up your cloak? It's not, it's not being as... Um, as, as crude as that but there is a difference and I think when you look at that scenario to, to grab a palm leaf and, and throw that down is different from being able to say this cloak that's on my back that I need to sustain me am I prepared to just wave my, wave my palm leaf and join in with the celebrations or am I prepared to be someone who throws down the very cloak off my back and says I submit to this guy because he's special and he's different and I think when we think about Palm Sunday I want that to be the thing that we think about this year that we challenge ourselves of, of actually how do we look at this uh, I, I saw um, I saw something on, on social media about someone said oh, I can't wait for Palm Sunday it's going to be joy in the, in the house it's going to be celebrating and, and to me when I look at Palm Sunday now I think it's the trigger for a really painful, difficult process. And Jesus, as he sat on that donkey, knew what he was walking into. And it's not to say that I don't want to celebrate, I, I want to celebrate everything about Jesus' life, but the significance of what he was about to do is the most amazing thing.